Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Kia ora, I'm Richard Wayne with Extra Time, a web-only sports show from Radio New Zealand Sport. This week, the end of the road for the New Zealand Warriors coach Matt Elliott and the backroom bust-up it exposed at the NRL club. We hear from the departing Hurricanes coach Mark Hammett and his captain Conrad Smith to sect another poor season for the Wellington Phoenix, plus a look at the national swim program ahead of Commonwealth Games selection, and we talk to a 60-year-old grandmother from Rotorua who's become the first person to make a double crossing of Cook Strait in a rowing skiff. But the big sports story this week was undoubtedly the departure of the New Zealand Warriors coach Matt Elliott. That came in just the fifth round of Australia's National Rugby League after the Warriors' dismal 37-6 thrashing at the bottom-placed Cronulla Sharks last weekend. Assistant coach Andrew McFadden, also known as Cappy, has taken over on an interim basis until the end of the season. Making the playoffs seems to be the bottom line for his holding on to the job longer term. McFadden admits it's been a whirlwind week for him and the club. I must admit my head's spinning, um, but... You know, I, I just keep grounding myself in that I work hard for this and, you know, that's why I've got here. And, um, you know, I just got to keep doing, doing what I do. The Warriors said that Matt Elliott resigned after sitting down with club chairman Bill Wavish on Sunday morning following their awful showing at Cronulla on Saturday night. Since then, there have been statements and interviews from pretty much everyone involved in the saga, including Wavish, the two Warriors co-owners, Eric Watson and Sir Owen Glenn, and Elliott himself. Elliot would only talk via an emailed statement on Thursday. After initially hinting he was pushed rather than jumped, the Australian said in the statement that he did agree the press release with Wavish, though he added enigmatically that the ref has blown his whistle and not even he can change the decision made. It's since been reported that Watson said it was resign or be sacked for Elliot. Our reporter Alex Coogan-Reeves put that to Chairman Bill Wavish. Oh, I'm not sure about what Eric has, has said. I talked to uh, Matty and uh, he chose to resign. So that that was really all that mattered. Uh, we didn't have to go past that point. Right, but you'd say it was fair to say that if he had not resigned, then you would have looked to terminate his contract? I'm just not going to go there. That's just all, all that went on between Matty and I. And there was some suggestion... And, and really, you know, all that's past history now. Um, Matt has uh, issued a statement. Uh, we need to get on with the footy. Right, so now these claims from Owen Glenn, he's saying that what he'd said was that he needed to be directly involved in these major decisions regarding management, the selection of players and the coach. Is is that the case, that that's what he'd said? He wrote to us to say that he, that he had various legal stroke trust issues and that, uh, that he wouldn't be involved. Um, and we have that in writing, so um, there we are. So then why do you think uh, Sir Owen's come out and made these comments as if he'd said he wanted to be involved? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask him that. And another thing he said in his most recent statement was that his representative on the board had believed that it was a choice made by Elliot. What was the conversation that had been with the full board before your meeting with Elliot? 
well, we, we discussed the situation and came to a conclusion. What the what the board come to is for them in the, in, in the boardroom. But uh, Matthew Elliott chose to resign. End of story. But presumably the conclusion that you came to was that it was time to move on from Matt Elliott as head coach? Well, as Matt says in his uh, note that he put out, I mean, he was leading the way in, in terms of preparing uh, Cappy um, to be head coach in, in 2015. But presumably he hadn't expected that to come in round five of 2014. Nor had I. In hindsight, looking at the way this has now come out and been played through the media over a number of days, do you think there's a way the club could have handled this decision with a bit less friction? I think uh, Sir Owen could have handled it better, definitely. With the owners now your two owners admitting a breakdown in their personal and business relationship, as Sir Owens put it. How is that ownership model that you've got with two 50% owners going to work going forward? Well, Owen has said that he intends to sell his his shareholding, and that would be a good outcome. But from what he said, is, is there a buyer that's available? I mean, it doesn't sound like he's willing to sell to Eric Watson, at least at the price that has been talked about so far. Sounds like a bit of public negotiation, doesn't it, really? So you would expect that Sir Owen will sell his share to Eric Watson in the future? I would expect that he would sell his share. Uh, I would assume it's probably to Eric Watson. I'm not a party, Alex, to those uh, discussions. I wouldn't expect to be, and I'm not. Have you heard anything from the NRL about this situation? Have, have they got any concerns about what's going on between the two owners? Um trying to think of the answer to that, mate. Uh, you'd have to ask them, uh, I think. But of course they read the newspaper, so they must, they must be aware of it. Right, but they, have, they haven't said that we, we see that having two feuding owners is potentially a really uh, dangerous thing for the club and then obviously the NRL by extension. I'm going to decline to answer that question. Do you feel, though, that this situation has done damage to the Warriors as a brand and as a club? I think there's a risk that it does do it, and you know I'd encourage everybody to uh, to put it all behind us and and get on the footy, which is the most important thing. I'm sure the fans are fed up with it. I certainly am. Right, and so just to summarise, you you think the best course forward would be if Sir Rowan sold his share and you you could move on under Eric Watson? Yes, he has said that he intends to do that, and I think that's a good outcome. Interesting no comment there on whether the NRL is worried about the ownership squabbles at the Warriors. Radio New Zealand's tried to talk to the NRL CEO, Dave Smith, about the issue, but so far without success. The co-owner, Sir Owen Glenn, admits he's on the warpath over the running of the Warriors. He says Eric Watson's acting like a dictator rather than a 50% shareholder. He claims he's been left in the dark about the Elliott issue, and Sir Owen told Morning Report host Guy and Espiner that he's furious. Obviously, I'm up in arms, otherwise you wouldn't be talking to me. Have you well, lost... How do you feel? I mean, you're not even consulted. I, we weren't even consulted hiring Sam Tompkins. I'm not saying it's the wrong, right or wrong thing to do, but we weren't even consulted. and It was a considerable amount of money changing hands there. Why do you think you weren't consulted? Well, because Mr Watson wants total control. Even though you are co-owned? A dictatorship. A dictatorship? Well, he says this is what we'll do and everybody does it. And then when I argued about certain things, he said, well, don't take any notice of him because he hasn't got any status with the shareholder who's the trust. 
what about this claim? And there's been an email released from Bill Wavish relating to this that you yeah, but you see again out want of to context, be Have a good look at it. Skyro had said to me, "What is your status and all that?" And I confirmed. I said, "Look, actually, Eric Watson's right. I don't have any formal status. I do have a shareholding with him in a company called GWNZ that he and I put in fifty-fifty in the financing to buy." the Warriors Equally, to buy Sol's Restaurant and to look at property development. And that was an umbrella company which just had one investment for the Warriors. So what I was doing with Scurra, going back and said, look, he's quite right. And you don't have to consult with me, but you do have to consult with the 50% shareholder, which is the trust. So how would you describe your relationship with Eric Watson now? Well, deteriorated to the point of confrontation. And what was the point where things turned? Because you two obviously um, were working... We've been talking about this for, for 12 months, that this isn't working. And he, in fact, he said to me, you're quite right, when you say only one person can run this club. He said that. What I said to Scarrow was just repeating that what Robson said was the truth. I was just writing look... to the CEO, explaining my position, because he asked me. Can we look to the future? You want out now? Well, yeah, because I don't have any confidence or trust in the management of the company. So you are looking to sell your shareholding. It's a $6 million shareholding. I offered to buy his share out or I offered to sell my share. He put the value at $30 million, And when I said, well, what would you pay me for my half share? He said $1 million. If he really thinks that the Warriors are buried at $2 million, what's he really saying? What would you like to see happen now, Sir Owen? I think an ex external force, the company needs to be brought in to evaluate the entire Warriors setup board, management team, front office, players, coaches, everything, to give a analytical and arms-length review in confidence so that people will talk in confidence. Extraordinary stuff. A voice of reason in all this, perhaps, comes from local rugby league icon Frank Endicott. The former Kiwis and Warriors coach told Alex Coogan-Reeves he's keen for the club to move on from the Matt Elliott debacle. Well, I, I see it's sad that um, Owen Glenn's um, come out and made a, a, a pretty big statement about the club and talking about now leaving. Hopefully they can get all this behind them now and let the team and the, and the new coach get underway this week and uh, have a win against the Bulldogs. You'd say it's not a good look for ownership to be having these sort of battles, I guess, through the media? Well, it's not a good look when you see uh, owners uh, having a go at each other in, in, in the public domain, but uh, sometimes these things do happen. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of talk going on about what happened with with Matt Elliott, but the, the fact is now, unfortunately, Matt, Matt's gone um, to new pastures and then someone else has taken over, and Andrew McFadden. So, you know, again, we need to move on. I, I think this can go on for too long. Um, and uh, hopefully everyone gets uh, gets on the same boat and, and, and in the same uh, direction together. From your vantage point, which is obviously one that's uh, slightly removed, do you think that Owen Glenn and Eric Watson can continue to work together? It seems like their relationships become uh, almost untenable. I just hope that they can get, uh, get on together and uh, for the good of the club, uh, move on work in the uh, same direction with each other and, uh, and let the football uh, business get on on the park. And I've always said that if the uh, football side goes uh, good on the park, then everything else follows and uh, the bitching stops. So hopefully that happens from this weekend. Do you think the club could have handled the way that they got rid of Elliot better from the outset to sort of avoid some of the circus that's followed? Well, 
I, I don't know. They made they made a strong decision, and and we always say to our administrators, we look at you to make strong decisions. Now, sometimes those decisions don't go your way, and I'm sure Matty Elliott feels that. But a decision was made, and uh, you've got to applaud, um, you know, the Warrior Board for making that call uh, because they believe that was the one that was right. Um, so, you know, we've got to support them on that and move on. Do you think, though, if when announcing the decision they'd been more upfront about what had happened, then they wouldn't have found themselves in this sort of mess? I think when you come across with statements that someone's resigned when you know quite well they haven't, um, then I think that leaves uh, leaves it up for, for discussion in the public uh, domain. I think you've got to be upfront from the word go and say, look, look, we're, we're moving in different directions. Um, we've moved on from the coach and we've got a new one. Uh, and I think everyone there now then knows what's going on. But when you put indecision in people's minds as to, uh, yes, he's resigned and others saying he's sacked, I think uh, that's when the uh, the talk starts and the discussion starts. So you're better being up front from day one. Yeah, and I guess now, as you say, there is a game this weekend. It seems like most people have pretty well forgotten about that. How hard is it for Andrew McFadden, do you think, this week as he actually tries to get the team ready? I don't think it's too hard for uh, Andrew McFadden. He'll be fired up for this. He'll wear fire in the belly for his first uh, game as a head coach. And uh, if he's doing his job, and I've got no doubts he is, he'll be just focused on what he's going to do against the Bulldogs this weekend, and so will the players. Uh, They need to really uh, distance themselves from what's going on in the public domain and uh, and get on with what they've got to do best, and that's on the park. Frank Endicott says Warriors boss Wayne Scurra has done a great job and he's comfortable with the chief executive and the board staying on, though he thinks the Matt Elliott exit could have been handled much better. This is extra time. Well, Matt Elliott wasn't the only high-profile coach to announce his departure this week. Mark Hammett's called time on his involvement with the Hurricanes after four turbulent years in charge. Hammett called a press conference in Wellington to announce he'll not be seeking reappointment beyond this year's Super Rugby season. The former All Black hooker explains the thinking behind his decision, which was made before a ball was even kicked this year. Obviously a tough decision, but a decision that was made many months ago before a ball was even kicked off in in pre-season. One of the big reasons for for the why is, um, as I've spoken to my group this morning, that they've just found out, and obviously a bit of a a bombshell, but as, as a leader, it's critical I set up my successes to succeed as well. We've put a lot of work into the club over the last three and a half years and will continue to do so. That work that's been done is absolutely critical that, it's, that it stays strong. And so that's, that's one of the big reasons why it's important that, that we announce it now. Now there's no good time, but there certainly is a bad time. And um, a bad time would be late in the season. So it's really, really important that we move on. The other thing is I've, um, I finished the game in 2004 Ended up with a with a bad neck and um, a pretty major operation, and and it didn't allow me to pursue any overseas options at that stage. And it's always been dream of mine to to perhaps go over there at some stage. And saying that, that's a focus far far away at the moment, but the the main focus still remains our season and the Canes. Mark Hammett's copped a lot of criticism in his time in charge of the Hurricanes. When he took over, the veterans Ma'a Nonu, Andrew Hoare and Piri Wepu all left the franchise. Success has hardly followed, an 8th place finish in 2012, the closest he's taken them to the playoffs. The 41-year-old says the criticism hasn't played any part in his decision. 
Criticism, it's part of the game, it's actually part of what we also love about New Zealand, is we're passionate about it and, and we're all critics, we've grown up with it, doesn't matter whether you're a, a mum, dad, grandmother or whatever, so um, that, that is part of the course and, and whether you like it or not, we make a decision to coach, I love coaching and that's what I want to continue to do. Look, it has ups and downs, but you know, in sport, you know, in, in, in rugby particularly, highs are highs, lows are lows, but... Um, you got to remember we we deal in that uh, we deal in that world all the time. The Hurricanes captain and All Blacks centre Conrad Smith says Coach Hammett's decision to quit came as a shock. He let me know. I think it was Monday last week, so I'd known for a, just over a week. But yeah, most of the team found, found out yeah, only an hour or so ago. So it was uh, yeah a little, a little bit of shock, a lot, a lot of sadness in the room. But uh, you know, I think we you know had a quick chat and we quickly turned it around and. Um, we, we, st- we talked about the season still to play and um, a lot still to prove. Personally, it's sad to um, see a coach go, and some it's just the same as a, a player. And you got to remember, it is, um, as players, we, we do deal with this a lot. You know, we uh, none of us are guaranteed. Things like this um, do happen a lot. Um, you know, I've been through a lot of coaches in my time um, with, with different teams, and um, it's never nice um, seeing go. Like I say, it's just like a player when he signs up overseas. It's uh, it's not nice, especially you know the longer you've played with them. But it's the reality of, of the business we're in, and um, you know you sort of have to move on. Conrad Smith there discussing news of the exit of his Hurricanes coach Mark Hammett. This is Extra Time, a web-only show from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Richard Wayne. Still to come, the national swim team starts to form for the Commonwealth Games and rowing the Cook Strait back and forth by a grandmother. With a new coach and new signings, it was all supposed to be very different for the Wellington Phoenix football side this season. A year ago, they were consigned to finishing bottom of the 10-team Australian A-League competition. And going into their final game of the current season, the Phoenix are in danger of retaining the wooden spoon. When Ernie Merrick, the most successful coach in the A-League, took over from previous coach Ricky Herbert, he was confident the Phoenix would be title contenders. So what's gone so badly wrong? Our reporter Stephen Hewson examines why the Phoenix have failed to rise from the ashes. On the training field, the Phoenix don't look to be a side in danger of being A-League wooden spooners two years in a row. Going into their final game of the season against the Melbourne Victory, they sit in ninth spot, just ahead of the Melbourne Heart. But should they lose in Wellington tomorrow and the Heart win, the Phoenix will drop to last. And coach Ernie Merrick says it's all his fault. We should have been played in the finals, and we're not going to, and that's my fault. I expect the standards and I expect to get in finals and I've got a record of getting in finals and if I didn't get it right I'd take responsibility for that because I think the players are still giving 100%. Failing to win a match in their first 10 games of the season has certainly come back to haunt them but an injury toll that's ended the season of several key players has also been a major factor. Merrick says he's never known a season like it in 35 years of coaching. I've never seen the combination of so many things go against us. And we also were very, very good at shooting ourselves in the foot. Manny Musket and Ben and uh, Michael Boxall, who continually get yellow cards, and they don't really worry too much about it. 
and the injuries, I mean, the injuries are, are major trauma. Uh, fractured cheekbones, uh, uh, dislocated shoulders, complete rupture of, of an Achilles, uh, a complete rupture of the adductor on Albert Riera, and it just conspired to make life very difficult. Striker Paul Eiffel, who suffered a season-ending Achilles injury, is adamant that injuries are behind their failure to reach the top six playoffs. Any club in this league, if you lose six players to season-ending injuries, I don't care who you are, you're going to be in trouble. And the fact that myself and Albert are imports, you know, they should always make a bigger impact um, on any squad because if they're not doing more than the locals can do, they shouldn't be here. So you take two or three imports out of any, any squad, they'd be struggling as well. So I think we did well to sort of hang on as long as we did. The Phoenix captain, Andrew Durante, though, is feeling the strain. The past three seasons haven't been easy. Firstly, the financial demise of the club owner at the time, Terry Serapisos, followed by poor on-field performances last year, which led to Ricky Herbert's departure. And now another season, which could end with the wooden spoon. I'm losing my hair. I'm going great. Oh, look, it's, it's, it's definitely stressful. It's, it's, it's hard to take. Uh, last season, there was so many things wrong. This season, you know, you can kind of narrow it down to a couple of things. I think injuries really played a part. I think in the middle of the season, that 10-run, those 10 games we were on, was probably some of the best football the club's seen. So, I mean, you can't be too disheartened about that. I think if we kept our strongest team on the park for the season, we'd be up in the top four. To lessen the impact of injuries on the side, Ernie Merrick says the club desperately needs a reserve team that competes regularly, and that will allow players to slot into the top team with a minimum of fuss. High on his priority list for the off-season is signing two experienced midfielders as well. The immediate priority, though, is avoiding the wooden spoon, and if enthusiasm counts for anything, the Phoenix have at least maintained that to the end of the season. Striker Paul Eiffel talks with Stephen Hewson about the Phoenix's season and what went wrong and what went right with a view to the future. Obviously the, the first 10 games were, were not great but we were playing some good stuff and it, the results weren't going our way. Then we went on a really good run and I think a lot of, a lot of injuries have definitely sort of uh, made the end of the season a little bit more sour. A lot of the youngsters have come in and, and done their best but a lot of them are players that wouldn't normally be playing. You know, they'd be coming on here and there and, and, and sort of learning their trade and they've been thrown in at the deep end and, and some of them have done well and it will, for me, I think it will stand us in good stead moving forward. Um, a lot of them have got experience that they wouldn't normally have had. So I think, you know, the club as a whole is, is definitely moving in the right direction. It's just a shame that the season's going to end on a, on a note like this. What would you say is the biggest difference in this club from 12 months ago? If you, to, um, if you had to try and maybe isolate it. Blimey. Um, when we've been playing well and we went on that good run, you can see the boys are full of confidence. That, that was one thing. Everybody's been better on the ball. Um, and we've tried to retain possession more than I've ever seen at this club. And Ernie's style of play, everybody's bought into it. Like I said, I think the injuries have, have killed that a bit. But um, we're still trying to do the right thing. This, you know, We've not gone back to going direct. Um, it's, it's still a possession-based style of play. And, and, and given that we've had so many players out you know, at one time, it's, it's been tough. Has that adjustment come easier and maybe quicker than you possibly no, thought? No, I, th or, I think it went slow, actually. Cause, I mean, the way we performed in pre-season, um, we went over to Sydney and beat Sydney 3-0, and, and we were brilliant on, on the day, I thought. And I thought, you know, we're going to make a few people sit up and, and take notice. And once we actually got into the season, things were really tough um, and we sort of wondered why and it was a case that we just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net and then all of a sudden you know it started happening Carlos was getting goals Kenny was getting goals Stein you know ended up with 10 so that was great but it's, it, it's gone again towards the back end of the season for a number of reasons You turn up to training there seems to be greater enthusiasm would that be fair? Yeah I think so I think like you said it's, it's when, you, when you're enjoying training you're enjoying what Manny's um, trying to implement um, everybody gets it 
Um, you know, we have a game plan, and he's one of them sort of managers who doesn't just sort of let it sell. If, if it's not working, he'll he'll drag somebody after half an hour or at half time, which I've found out myself this season. So I think that always keeps you on your toes, and, and you know that if you're not um, performing. Um, you're not going to be in the team and I think that's been the, the hard bit for Ernie he's, he's not had anybody to, to change and, and, and make these make a difference because we haven't just haven't had the squad Sits you up for, for next year hopefully I, I, I can't see why not I think the, the boys are still really enthusiastic still believe in the system and um, if we can have a decent run um, on the physio side of things then uh, I think we'd be okay The Wellington Phoenix host the Melbourne victory on Saturday evening in their last game of the season on Friday night, the swim team for July's Commonwealth Games in Glasgow is named. It comes at the end of the National Swimming Championships, which have been held over the past week in West Auckland. Those champs doubled as qualifying for the Games, and they're also the trial for next month's Oceania Championships and the Pan Pacific Champs in August. Swimming NZ's high-performance director, Louis Villanueva, has been in the job for 15 months now. He's developed a program aimed at peaking at the 2016 Olympics in Rio. I spoke with him. So this is the first half season that we are working on this program and we're having some, some progression that the real progress should be assessed at the pinnacle event. So the important thing is uh, that all the swimmers that qualify for both uh, come games and Pentax, they are able to improve the qualifying times they have done here at the pinnacle event. This is, this is what's really important and this is what uh, really counts in order to assess the preparation of the team for, for the Rio Olympics. You've said that you want constant improvement, haven't you? So they've improved since you've started and you want them to improve again before Glasgow and then to improve all the way up to the Rio Olympics. Yeah, yeah. So we are trying to, to do a program uh, that uh, can have them prepare in 2016. This is the first year of this of this program, and and uh, this is a year of uh, in which we need to expose our swimmers to a reasonable high-level competition. So the Come Games field is not the Olympics or the World Championship, but it's a quite demanding uh, field in most of the events. So it's important that they are exposed to this. Um, uh, environment and then again in paybacks which uh, will be probably more competitive in some events so this is a year of exposure of high exposure to high level competition not as high as the awards or the, or the uh, olympic games but uh, it's a very good competition uh, for this year for this first year of preparation the qualifying times that have been set by the nzoc and by swimming new zealand are at least world championships and Olympic standard, and, and some are even slightly faster. Is that right? And what's why is that? Yeah, the qualifying standards were we set up one year ago, and yeah, the qualifying standards, in my opinion, to represent your country in a competition like the Commonwealth Games, you have to be on a high level. So you have to have expectations to to do the final. So to me, putting the bar high is important in order to set. The, the goals of the swimmers and coaches as high as we need to have them prepared for 2015 and 2016. But the important thing is not to set the standard high, which is, in my opinion is, is necessary, but is to set up a program according to these standards. So the thing is, once we establish the, the standards, and the, that will be very similar for 2015 and 2016, at that time, and that was one year ago, 
we have to set up a program for preparing the swimmers to be at this at this level. So it's about preparation. It's about preparation. It's not about how uh, qualifying standards are. You can qualify here, and then if you don't improve this time, uh, uh, the common games of Pentax, you, you will not be competitive. The important thing is preparation and the program to prepare the swimmers to perform at this, at this level. Uh, we have at the moment 10 swimmers qualified, so it's a reasonable number. We can have another or a couple of them tonight. Lewis Villanueva's swim team at the time this program was put together looks set to feature breaststroker Glenn Snyders and freestyler Lauren Boyle who will compete in three individual events each in Glasgow as well as Matthew Stanley who's qualified for the 400 free and Corey Main in the 100 backstroke plus the men's and women's 4x200 freestyle relay. There are also the para swimmers Sophie Pascoe and Nikita Howarth. Finally, in extra time, a 60-year-old grandmother from Rotorua has become the first person to make a double crossing of Cook Strait in a rowing skiff. Pam Dixon performed the feat in 7 hours and 51 minutes. Wow. She rowed from Makara, west of Wellington, to the South Island's Pirano Head and back to Otaranga Bay on the capital's south coast. The grandmother of 10 children only took up rowing 11 months ago on Lake Rotorua. But she told Radio New Zealand's Ben Robinson that she made the crossing in a boat designed for the ocean. It's more of an offshore rowboat designed for open, rougher water, offshore water. It's heavier than a, a normal single racing skiff. I mean, the boat is still unstable. It's still a rowing skiff. I mean, I fell in four times, so, yeah. What happened <laughs> yeah. when you fell in? Was it easy to get back on board? No, the boat was flipped upside down and because... The waves were big. I mean, in the rowboat, they look really big, and in the water, even bigger. I had practice getting into it. There was a sort of an art to it, and I got in it uh, pretty good. But the fourth time was on the return leg, and the water was sort of all over the place, and it was quite hard that time to get in. And I thought, I just, I can't keep falling in, more as, you know, there'll be a point where I can't get back in the boat, so... Technically, it was very hard because I have never rowed in water like that, even in my training. And being a novice, you know, I had trouble getting the blades in the water to catch the water. So all day, just trying to keep balanced. And it was just being buffeted around so much. And the boat was full of water, but Viv had assured me that it would not sink. But, you know, the water was just up to the top. It was just flowing in there of the boat. Were you able to bail it out? No, no. You just, if you bailed it, it would have just been back in in the next wave. So that's how it was. You just water everywhere. The wind, it must have been broadsiding you. The, the wind came up a little bit on the way back. It wasn't so much the wind, it was more the, um, the big swell and the chop. Uh, coming back, the tide had changed, and of course you are going across the tide, so it was pushing me kept pushing me like I would have run out of land to, to actually land back in the, in the North Island. So I had to turn the boat, the bow of the boat, all the time. So, you know, I was very lucky I got there. So how long did it take you to do the double crossing? It took me 7 hours 51 minutes, um, 4 hours 13 minutes going from Markra Beach across to Piranha Head and then... Three hours, 38 minutes coming back. So I've really got to ask, why did you want to do it? Because I swam it five years ago and I don't remember 
the last K, eight Ks of my swim. So I just wanted to revisit it, and and I just had an idea of doing it in, the, in a rowboat. Because rowing was something I always thought, oh, I wouldn't mind taking rowing up. And that's what I did. I went to the Rotorua Rowing Club 11 months ago and told them what I wanted to do. And they've been, you know, taught me how to row. And I've rowed with the Masters. I've rowed for three or four months with the novice girls and raced with them. So So you're 60 years old now. And I suppose you've had children of your own? Yes, I've got three children and 10 grandchildren. Wow, they must be pretty impressed with their grandmother. Yeah, I hope I'm an inspiration to them and yeah, just crazy nana. Pam Dixon's also the oldest woman to have swum Cook Strait. And that's extra time. Thanks very much for listening. You can get the latest sports news on our website anytime, while we'll be back with the next web-only extra time show next Friday. This is Richard Wayne. Bye for now. 